It's easy to forget just how much technology has changed over the last quarter of a century. For much of the workforce, it's practically impossible to remember life without the internet. And those of us who remember life with our crackberries are starting to feel a little bit ancient when that term is mentioned. This evolution has made it easier to do business, but it comes with a lot of challenges for your IT department, especially when it comes to cybersecurity. A DIY approach may still be possible for some organizations, but it's important to understand that it comes with some real risk. Up next, our expert panel talks about your best approach to cybersecurity and what you need to know before you decide to go it alone. This is the Cyber24 Podcast presented by Valcom. Welcome to the Cyber24 Podcast, a weekly pod dedicated to helping business and governmental leaders better understand the often intimidating topic of cybersecurity so you can make better decisions for your organization. I'm Marty Carpenter of 24-9, and I work in strategic communication, public affairs, and government relations. I'm joined today by our panel of cybersecurity experts, Dan Schuyler from Valcom and Paul Whittier from AdLumen. Guys, thanks so much for being here. Thanks Thanks for for having having us. us. Uh, Good to be here. And and I should say welcome to season seven because this is episode one twenty six and the first of our seventh season and they they never said it would last but here we are uh, seven <laughs> seasons in uh, the other thing that uh, that well something that they've never said is that uh, you'll never have to change your Facebook password and so before we get into today's topic I just thought it was timely to at least mention this and Dan had flagged this on LinkedIn uh, a little bit earlier uh, Facebook got hit with uh, some kind of breach and they lost you know. Give or take half a billion <laughs> passwords have been exposed. Dan, what uh, what's your uh, what can you tell us about it? And what's your take on it? Well, it's data that was scraped from a vulnerability that happened back in 2019, and uh, it's now found its way to the dark web, and it's 500 million uh, accounts with you know phone numbers and. Uh, uh, email addresses and biographical information, full names, and and, and a, it's a it's a big uh, treasure trove of data um, that's now available to anybody, and um, 500 million accounts. So that's a pretty big. But again, it, it's from a breach that happened back in 2019, um, but now it's there for anybody and everybody to um, to view and use as they see fit. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Dan, no one would use their work email and password on Facebook, though, would they? No, it would never <laughs> happen. <laughs> never happen. Uh, I well, would imagine out of that many passwords, there's some corporate credentials uh, leaked out there as well that are being sold on the dark web. Yeah, full names, uh, phone numbers, locations, email address. I mean, it's 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 a good, it's a good treasure trove of data, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, what uh, Facebook does from this issue. We'll call it an issue. It feels, I guess, interesting to me that something like this can happen and it's not really even that much of a story. And maybe that speaks to the fact that there's so much going on in the rest of the world, or maybe it speaks to the fact that breaches are becoming so much more commonplace that, um, you know, while there's still large issues and they're big problems for the people and the companies associated with them, that's not just like driving the big headline all of the time. Um, I don't know. It's kind of an interesting, interesting trend to keep an eye on. Well, I think, you know, they survived the Cambridge Analytica debacle 
um, mm -hmm. with the data breach there. And I, I think people, to your point, Marty, have grown sort of tired of these constant breaches and they don't have the same impact, especially when they're from the same organization. I wonder if it would cause more panic uh, in the public if they were to mention that this is essentially a, an Instagram breach as well, since they're the same company, you know, presuming that, that there's not some kind of delineation there and where the passwords and such are. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's a, a number of people who would say their only touch with Facebook at this point is through Instagram and probably falls along some demographic lines. So an interesting thing, but Hey, shifting to our topic and top story this week, uh, the risks of DIY cybersecurity for your business. And I thought this was kind of interesting because, you know, when you first say the, the, the topic or when you put in the term DIY, I think of like a business that's maybe, you know, in, in real small startup mode, it's got four or five people and one person's just sort of put in charge of the cybersecurity and they really are doing it yourself. And I suppose that might be a little bit of a uh, misleading angle to take on it because maybe it is. Uh, when they say DIY, maybe some people could listen to that and think of just doing it in-house. And and so I'd love your thoughts on that as as we kind of delineate between those two throughout our conversation. But with, with cybersecurity growing exponentially more complex, is it even, is it practical? Is I, Possible is one level, practical is another. What reason would any company have to sort of try to, to go it to go at this on its own as opposed to going and enlisting some expertise. And Dan, let's maybe start with you there and, and tell me what you think. Is there is there any argument that could be made where that would be actually advisable? Well, it all depends on the IT security structure of your organization, the type of data, the type of data that you have and are trying to keep secure, the sensitive sensitivity of that data. Um, does Building a SOC in-house makes sense for every organization? A absolutely not. It's it's clearly a major undertaking. You have to have trained personnel that know the technologies for managing um, an internal SIM and being able to do the analysis of the data, being able to do the correlation. And so it's to build a SOC takes a lot of time, money, and effort. Um, it does make sense for some organizations, again, based on the size, the type of data, the type of compliance requirements that they might have, but it's clearly not an undertaking that the average organization um, should take because of all of the uh, intricacies that, that I just mentioned, which really, you know, leads us to the discussion of, you know, outsourcing it to uh, managed and managed detection and response um, service provider. Paul, what's your take? Yeah, I agree. I mean, the estimates are, you know, you've got regular IT people. You know, it's kind of like a generalist at construction. Maybe they can do it. Maybe they're not experts at it. You know, when I got a drywall person, I want someone to come hang drywall. I don't want to do it because they're really good and really fast at it. Cybersecurity to get someone who does cybersecurity and they're an expert in that, it usually takes an organization around 500 to get someone dedicated to security. So absolutely, like a big organization, they are going to have some security expertise in-house. They may even have the ability to manage it 24 by seven. But there's a, 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 you know, is it worth it? And do they have the expertise and, and the capability? Do they have someone that's gonna be there at Christmas time? managing and watching that stuff 24 seven. 
Because I, I, one thing that we've known and learned is that the bad guys like to do things when we're asleep and when we're on holiday and when we're not looking. That's that's their goal is to get in and do things when we're not paying attention. So I think there's you know some real value to to being able to have someone watch it 24/7, 365 days, and it takes a big organization to do it on their own if they're going to do it. I saw something posted online that uh, kind of triggered with this conversation, and it was a, a meme, and it said you know how to grow tomatoes, and it said step one dedicate three months of your life. To growing tomatoes. Step two: save two dollars. <laughs> you know? So that, that kind of costs you more than that, to be honest. Like gardening is not a not a necessarily a money saving proposition, <laughs> right? So, but that, and I think that kind of aligns with what we're saying here. Is like, look, you can grow your own tomatoes, but at the end, you might spend more time, money, and not necessarily do it as well, or or you know, maybe not any better, and and quite possibly not even as well, or even adequately. Uh, and, and it feels like that's kind of what we're saying here is like, look, is it possible? Yeah. I mean, can I build my own car from buying parts and putting it together? Yes, I can. Is it much better if I let, you know, Acura, Honda, Toyota, somebody else do it and put it together? Uh, because that's what they do all the time. Kind of like you're saying with the drywall guy, it just seems like, um, we've the overall, the marketplace has kind of evolved to where, Everyone, there are enough organizations that can do this at scale that it's it's better to go that route. But but Marty, garden grown tomatoes are exponentially better than store bought tomatoes. Not always, but many times, <laughs> many times. There, there could be an it, argument there for yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I I've definitely I think in Utah you can get some really great tomatoes that aren't store bought. And when they like rotate out of season, and then you have to go buy the store bought ones for the first time in like October. Like, oh man, these are, this is not a tomato. It's shaped like a tomato. It looks like a tomato. <laughs> not quite the same thing. So, but, but I mean, Paul, what do you think? Is that kind of, that's kind of what you were saying there with the, uh, with the, the drywall, drywall scenario, right? Yeah. Just, I mean, it's easier to go do it the, the, the bigger way. I think the gardening is actually a great analogy too, right? Because I've gardened and by the time you buy the seeds and you put all the fertilizer and the water and you're like, I could have just bought this at the store for a whole lot less. That's true with cybersecurity too. The other problem is, with cybersecurity experts as they're hard to find. And if you do find a good one, they may jump and go to another job. If you hire a team of people, you know, in a SOC, then they've kind of got you covered no matter what happens. They have to deal with all that personnel and hiring high-end security people to be able to manage, watch it, and take care of it. It's not an easy task. In fact, a lot of uh, even resellers don't like to do it because it, the cost is high. It's, it's very difficult to bring up a, a 24-7 sock and be able to manage it. There's always the question the business leaders ask about liability and risk, uh, and, and boards, uh, board of, boards of directors have had to think through this a lot more uh, in relation to cybersecurity. And I would imagine that if you uh, are a company that says, boy, we're weighing the difference between do we just kind of build this ourselves in-house or go and and hire some expertise out of house um that you know you if you're going to go the first route you better be able to show that you really had your ducks in a row in the way you went about it uh you know just just in protecting your shareholders and and so on um i imagine that that has to be part of the calculation that goes into this as well is that right dan yeah and this goes back to what we've talked about time and time again uh doing a risk assessment and understanding what your risks are, what your vulnerabilities are, um, what your risk tolerance is, and 
um, maximizing your ROI and determining what security controls you need in order to mitigate that risk. And, and does it make sense to Paul's point to build your, your own sock versus outsourcing that to uh, an external vendor? So building your own sock is a operation, is a capital expenditure. It's a CapEx expense. You've got to pay for all the technology and, all the software to build your SOC, whereas an MDR outsourced SOC is an operational expense. You're you're paying a monthly or annual fee for that operational expense. So again, you need to determine, do you want to have that capital expenditure or do you want to outsource it and make it an operational expenditure? And again, back to Paul's point, it's going to be a very unique subset of organizations that have the time, money, and resources uh, and expertise to Bring in to build a sock in, in house. Time to take a break, but first a reminder that Cyber 24 is presented each week by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah based IT solutions and services provider with a drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35 plus years means they have the experience and the expertise to help your business from desktop to the data center. Check them out at VLCM.com. Back with more on the Cyber 24 podcast presented by Valcom right after this. Listen, IT leaders, I know how hard it is to manage your security posture. With dozens of different security technologies that vary in process, application, and response, wouldn't it be nice if you had security baked right into your actual server hardware? HPE's Gen 10 servers offer exactly that. As Utah's biggest HPE Platinum partner, Valcom believes that your server infrastructure should be a priority in your defensive strategy. Protect your organization with innovations in firmware protection, malware detection, and firmware recovery right down to the silicone. Learn more and check out Valcom's on-demand webinar with HPE at vlcm.com slash server dash security. That's vlcm.com slash server dash security. At Valcom, they know IT departments are overwhelmed with too many technologies to manage, too many alerts to weed through, and have too little staff to do it all. To help lighten the load while eliminating blind spots, Valcom highly recommends adopting Aruba ClearPass into your environment. From IoT to an always-on mobile workforce, especially now, organizations are more exposed to attacks than ever before. With Aruba ClearPass, you can get agentless visibility and dynamic role-based control for seamless security enforcement and response across your wired and wireless networks. How's that for making things easier? As a Platinum Aruba partner holding the Aruba ClearPass specialization, Valcom has the highest certified engineers to design, implement, and test your ClearPass environment. Learn more or request a free consultation by visiting vlcm.com slash clearpass. That's vlcm.com slash clearpass. All right, welcome back. We continue our discussion with Dan Schuyler from Valcom and Paul Whittier from AdLumen. And we're talking about the pros and cons, practicalities and impracticalities of going at your own and uh, doing sort of the DIY approach to your cybersecurity with your company. Uh, Dan, you mentioned managed detection and response, MDR, as as a factor here. Can you just maybe expand on why that is uh, you know, a critical element or a key factor in the decision and, and maybe even help our audience understand what we mean by managed detection and response? Yeah, so basically you are outsourcing the 
manage management detection and response of your network to a third-party provider, and their job is to um, ingest your network traffic and your log files from all your log-emitting devices and to analyze those log files, uh, correlate those log files, and determine if there is any suspicious activity uh, within your network that you as the client need to be aware of. And so they're really taking you out of the driver's seat and doing that work for you and alerting you to any suspicious activity. And now, and not all MDR vendors are the same. Most MDR vendors have the ability to detect malicious or anomalous activity within your network and alert you to it. And then there are some vendors, um, as this article said, that can deter and contain and remediate. But those, as the article said, are the more advanced vendors that have those technologies uh, to actually stop a malicious, uh, stop malicious activity within your network. Um, and so essentially you are subcontracting or subbing out the monitoring, the 24-7 monitoring of your network to somebody who is going to uh, alert you to any activity that's outside the norm, you know, malicious or otherwise, um, and, and make you aware of that. So Paul, so far we've talked about this primarily as sort of an either or approach, right? You either uh, do it yourself or you do it, uh, you totally outsource it. Is there a way to do a hybrid approach and how common is that for people to kind of, or for businesses to try to piecemeal this a little bit and say, we do need external help here, but we want our internal team to handle this. Yeah, definitely. So this fits really well with AdLumen and what we do. We are a SIM and we're a modern SIM that does all that ingestion but we use a lot of artificial intelligence to make it easier, you know, setting up the report, setting up the artificial algorithms to be able to look through all the data. So from a SIM perspective, I think there are products out there like AdLumen that makes bringing in SIM data and doing the management of a SOC much easier. Now, what we've built into our platform is the ability to be able to have the SOC and the customer both manage the SIM together. So they're actually looking at the same dashboard. They can go into what we call Security Operations Center, and they can see what the SOC did. They write their notes. They kind of co-manage. There's even the ability for them to take over like after hours. So, you know, some SOCs will, you know, manage it during the day, but then maybe you would have a hybrid approach where, nights, weekends, holidays, that's going to be off-sourced to, you know, the SOC team. So there are hybrid approaches that can be can be had um, that can cost a little bit less. And, you know, depending on the vendor and, you know, what they allow to happen. But, um, you know, we sell both kind of the everything from the SIM do-it-yourself to the SIM being done and managed, co-managed to being partially managed, you know, together. So I think there, there, there's a lot of different options that could be had, but having a professional looking at your, your security information and giving advice and, you know, professional feedback, I think is invaluable. For organizations that, that sort of try to do the hybrid approach or pick and choose spots here and there, what's usually their motivation? Is it a, is it a cost thing? Is it they already have some of their team in place and so they're just trying to fill gaps of what they don't have what's their what's their general thinking i'd say it's a cost you know for us and i don't know how it is for everybody some 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 vendors only sell a sim 
some only sell a sock and you get access to components of it but when you're when you're looking at the whole project you know for for our perspective sim is probably like let's say it's a cost the having it managed is pretty much double the cost right so you can get the product itself that helps you you know manage your security operations or you can pay double and have someone manage that so it's definitely a cost you know to be able to have someone looking over your network and managing it and all that but kind of think of this as staff augmentation as well right because if you're having a sock you're not having to hire someone to do that so instead of having you know to hire someone and pay the benefits and making sure they're there and all the things that go along with it you just outsource that sock component security operations center and then they just become part of your IT team and your IT generalist now can take you know a you know an active role in the sim as much as they want but they've got that back end piece where they can always know that the socks watching it as well i think the hybrid approach is a really great approach when you're using both you know they have access to the product and the sock has access to the product and you're you're having feedback loops that are happening in between i guess if a company were to come to you and say look cost is not our big problem and I, I, first of all that'd be the dream client right if they come to you and offer up hey cost is not the thing but let, let's just hypothetically say hey, cost is not going to be the the problem is it safe to say that your recommendation would almost always be you're going to want to go to the experts on everything as opposed to have something in-house even though you have some expertise in-house or is it all just dependent on each individual situation in each individual company yeah, again, it's it's on a case-by-case -case basis. Do you want full control of and, and transparency into your network, into your log files, into your network traffic? Do you have the, the time and expertise, as Paul mentioned, to manage your own SIM on a 24-by-7 basis? If, if you do, then the, D, the, the DYI approach could make sense. But for most companies, uh, that approach is, is going to be a challenge. And that is where an MDR or a hybrid solution um, like at Lumen makes sense. All right, guys, thanks so much for your expertise and your insight on this, as always. Hey, as we wrap up the show for this week, uh, let's take a moment and just uh, share with our listeners what's cool this week. I'll just go first. How's that? It was spring break. And we got the heck out of town. First time we've had a family vacation in uh, two years, thanks to the pandemic. And we went to Hawaii. And I'll tell you what's cool this week, last week, and I presume every week, Hawaii is pretty darn nice, especially, um, you know, we had some nice temperatures when we got back. We were gone and it was kind of cold. So I think we got out of here at perfect timing. And uh, Hawaii is beautiful. And I would just say, uh, what's cool for me this week? Hawaii was very cool. So uh, that's mine. I'm, I'm watching to see who's ready. I think Paul looks kind of ready. So Paul, I'll ask you, what's cool this week? Well, with the warmer weather coming out, you know, we bought some electric bikes last year, but I'll tell you what, anything electrified is just awesome. Whether it's a car <laughs> or a bike, I have a little scoot. I got a little one of those Razor scooters that can do like 18 miles an hour. It's electrified. Uh, you know, we live here in daybreak and you can just cruise around so quick around the neighborhood on these little electric vehicles. I'm thinking this is great. And then I'll just plug in one more electric piece. Utah had this program where you could turn in your old junky lawnmower and get like an electrified one. 
I went to go get it and it was already sold out. So I guess everybody else wants electric too. Because, you know, if somebody's listening on that program to get more electric turn in lawnmower things, I'm in. I'll, I'll give you my crappy gas powered lawnmower and I would. I would kind of like to go to an electric lawnmower, sure. <laughs> yeah, especially uh, you know when gas prices jumped up, they went from like around two sixty a gallon to I think we got up to as high as like three forty in Kaysville, something like that. So in Davis County, I saw it around three forty. So yeah, I think a lot of people thinking electric again when gas prices jumped up like that. So uh, and by the way, I, an electric scooter, just the ones that you can rent and kind of zip around on, they're they're so much fun. And I, you know, I get, I rarely get on something like that. That doesn't make me like turn into just a kid again. Like, this is just so fun to zip <laughs> around. So I'm totally with you on that. All right, Dan, uh, take us home. What's cool this week? I want an electric scooter now. So now I'm going to have to go out and get one. <laughs> you can go rent one downtown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to default to Apple again. Um, I, nothing really struck my fancy. Apple's got the find my app feature built into the new version of iOS and it now takes um, the, the find my feature to the next level instead of just finding your iPhone or finding your 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 Apple devices uh, or finding Marty or finding Paul you can now find third-party devices that you've misplaced um, clearly it has to have the built-in technology that's compatible with the find my app uh, technology that Apple's providing. And there's, I think, about four vendors right now that are providing Find My App compatibility. But clearly with the Apple ecosystem, there are going to be a lot of products that will have the Find My App feature built in. So for the absent-minded of us, when we misplace something, we can just get on our phone and it'll show us exactly where we left it. Well, very cool. I know that uh, we're not too far away from, I think, is it 14.5, iOS 14.5, so we'll get a few new features coming out and uh, always great stuff. Uh, Dan and Paul, thanks so much, as always, for your time and for uh, lending some of your brain power to our audience so they can better understand some of these important issues. And, and in this case, I think with the DIY or not the DIY, um, you know, a real big decision that a lot of businesses and business leaders are facing. So thanks very much. As we wrap up for this episode, I want to thank our sponsors at Valcom. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. Whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and productive. Check them out at vlcm.com to learn more about Valcom's end-to-end solutions, the technology vendors they partner with, and so much more. That's vlcm.com. Hey, we also want to thank our supporting partners, the Utah Department of Technology Services, the Kim C. Gardner Policy Institute, uh, our friends at Secuvant, the Utah Attorney General's Office, and the Utah Department of Public Safety. You can follow us on Twitter at cyber 24 Score, or you can follow us on Facebook. Hit us up either place to let us know what you think, or if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcast Five Star Ratings. Much appreciated. Thanks, everyone. Have a great weekend. Stay safe online.